All right, turn your Bible, Psalm chapter 138, if you would. We'll try to be aware of the time tonight with everything going on, so we're going to get right to it. Psalm chapter 138, and uh, we won't stand, you can remain seated. And all God's people said, Amen. Sunday night, and we're barely awake from our afternoon nap, so we'll leave you in your seats. <laughs> Psalm chapter 138, and I uh, did want to say by way of introduction, thanks, uh, thanks for being here tonight, and thank you for Brother Jeremiah asking, asking me to speak. Uh, and uh, just from a staff perspective in addressing the church, I uh, wanted to let you know that you know, I know you see the Andrews on Sundays, maybe Wednesdays, and, and, and maybe some of us during the week, but I know a lot of us don't see them, but maybe once or twice a week. And uh, thank God for the pastor, Amen. Um, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and we're appreciative of the Andrews coming here and giving their lives up uh, from where they lived and their church up that they had grown and uh, coming here to minister to us. And uh, if you don't, if if you remember, it wasn't too long ago we were kind of in a, in a predicament uh, without a pastor. We were worried about what the Lord was going to do for us, and so we're excited they've come. And uh, just from a staff perspective, I know you don't get to see behind closed doors uh, where there's meetings and decisions being made, but I know you'd be proud. Uh, of the way uh, our pastor has jumped right in and handled himself, uh, not only during coronavirus, but just uh, in general through the school and church. Uh, just every decision has been the right decision. There's been wisdom, there's been prayer, and it's been obvious in the preaching and the teaching and the decisions being made throughout the staff. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see as other folks leave. Now, we prayed Brother Brent out, thank God for that. But uh, as, as some folks have left that we didn't want to leave, uh, that God has brought on uh, a new staff, new pastor, new family, and he and Miss Leslie have ju- just done an absolute A-plus job uh, from somebody on the staff that gets to see them every day. And I know you'd be proud of the way they've uh, just led this church behind the scenes, especially during this difficult time. So thank God for the Andrews, and uh, let's be in prayer for them, and let's be thankful to, uh, for them, especially during this Pastor Appreciation Month. We're in Psalm chapter 138, verse 2. The Bible says, I will worship Toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Turn back one more passage here. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We see the words praise and worship in that passage. And in Revelation 4 verse number 11, another familiar verse. We even sing this uh, in several songs, I think, that we do. But in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Uh, We're going to talk tonight about praise and worship. There have been messages off and on over the last few days and weeks about this, and I actually went and looked. I got about halfway through this, and I started thinking, somebody else has preached this. I'm stealing somebody's message subconsciously. And actually went on the church website, went on Facebook trying to find, I thought, Brother Breland preached something on this. And so I went back and looked uh, just to make sure I didn't steal. And so I don't think I stole everything, uh, maybe a couple of things, but uh, it's all in the Bible, so it's good. God wrote it all down at the, at the beginning anyway, so he's the originator, right? Uh, but uh, I didn't want to steal somebody's message. We got, I had music theory class years ago, and we would do music theory class, and we were going through it. And uh, we would teach, uh, we were getting to the section, all the music nerds uh, would know it's part writing, and you're, you're, you're writing for Four parts into music and the, the activity for the day or for the week or whatever was write your own music. You get to write a song. You get to compose. 
And uh, after everyone groans and moans and, oh, we have more work to do, uh, it, it was actually kind of fun. You start writing your own music, you write a melody, and you write the parts in. And you have to follow these part writing rules that all the music nerds love and they study. And all these rules about how you're supposed to write it and how you're supposed to harmonize and all these things. And uh, invariably, though we were all young, invariably, we got about halfway through. Everybody got through their song, and, and we were getting through it. You start singing it and start playing it and start trying to hash out the parts and the notes. And uh, the teacher said, and if you've noticed, you'll probably, you probably picked up a song that you've heard somewhere before. Uh, you subconsciously write music that's already in your head that somebody else wrote. You basically stole it and put it down, call it your composition, and wrote new words to it. And uh, we all laughed saying, that's what I did. This is a song somebody else wrote, uh, or a very similar song. If, if, we, if we published this, it would get copyright. Uh, we would get in, in trouble for uh, stealing someone's copyright. And I feel like I was doing that with church today. I feel like I was trying to steal someone's message. Um, and, it, and some of the points that we're going to mention tonight were even mentioned this morning, uh, but that's okay. Uh, the Lord knows maybe we needed to hear it again. Uh, but, but here we are. We, we just read in Psalm chapter 138 about praising and worshiping. We read in uh, Revelation chapter 4 that he is worthy. Uh, if we read uh, uh, in, in, in verse number 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So now we're going to talk about praise and worship. One more passage. We're going to pray and be dismissed. Turn to uh, pray, speak, and then be dismissed. Don't get your hopes up. I work too hard for this to pray and dismiss. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> That woke some people up. Yes. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's get there. We'll read this passage. Verse number 5. Nehemiah 1, 5. And then we'll pray. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let's pray and we'll get to it. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for church, what it means for all of us. Uh, help the message to be a blessing and a help. And uh, Lord, we ask that uh, you would uh, just be with us as we go through, uh, even talking about the election tonight. And uh, Lord, that your will will just be done, and uh, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about praise and worship tonight, and we're going to go through the story of Nehemiah. We just read a couple of verses by way of text. Uh, There's about a million of them on praising and worshiping, of course, in Psalms and throughout the Bible. But in the book of Nehemiah... Uh, we're, we're just going to kind of go through uh, some passages here that kind of parallel some, some praise and worship thoughts that we want to mention tonight. Uh, one of our kids, uh, when they were younger, would ask the question, is it real? Daddy, is that real? I said, what do you mean? He would tell her something, and uh, we, we explain uh, that there would be a question. And uh, one time we were out, outside, and we were I think we're pulling weeds. We were pulling weeds or something outside in one of the flower beds, and it had gotten kind of grown over, and so we're fixing it up. And the kids were out there, and one of them started helping me, and she said, is this, is this real? Said, what do you mean? And I started explaining. She, uh, we were pulling weeds, and I was explaining to her, you know, we got to pull these weeds, or they'll take over the garden, and we had to do it every year. We're take over this flower bed, and we want the flowers to grow, and you got to pull them up by the root. And she said, where do, where do those come from? Where do weeds come from? I thought, okay, how deep are we going to go here? We could go to Adam and Eve and just have the whole Bible lesson on tilling the ground and, and sweating. Uh, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. You know, we could go there. And so I just, I did the short version. Well, birds sometimes drop them in and they, the wind blows them in. You know, those dandelions, they fly all over the place and the wind blows them into your, into areas they shouldn't be. You can clean them out, but they'll come back eventually. And uh, the question was asked, is that real? <laughs> I said, yes, I just told you that it's real. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but the question struck me as a, as a very uh, 
It's a very complex question if you really go down to that. Is it real? And it's a question I want to ask you tonight about your praise and worship life. Is it real? Because we can say the words and we can talk the talk, but is it real? If we were to not only show someone in our words, but in our practice, in our deeds, in our action about the reality of our life of praise and worship to the Lord, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit can ask you that tonight. Is that really real? I mean, you're showing up, you're going through the motions, but is it real to you? Um, And it's just a thought on praise and worship that I want to start off with. Is it real? Uh, Let's look at Nehemiah in verse number five. uh, We've we've just picked up the beginning of the story. We know the story. He's the cupbearer to the king and he hears the wall is torn down. Jerusalem is in shambles. They've rebuilt, try to rebuild the temple. But in verse number four, he heard the words of the captivity and heard the words of affliction. And in verse number four, he says, when I heard that these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He saw a burden, he saw a need to go to his people, but the first thing he did right away was praise and worship, and he did it in private. And that's the first thing we want to look at in our praise and worship life. As we look at the story of Nehemiah, we want to look at our private praise and worship. He does it again. We have another verse here in chapter 2, verse number 4. He's going to go to the king. And the king said unto me, what dost thou make request? And before Nehemiah makes his request, what does it say? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, without getting into the deep uh, subject of praise and worship, it's a deep dive. There's books and there's, there's all kinds of guys that have written on it and talked about it. I wouldn't dare go uh, into some of that uh, for sake of time and for sake of my ability to even explain it. But we know worship uh, comes from the word worth. It is worthship. Uh, and praise is just our manner of lifting up, exalting someone, giving our approval. When we say amen in church, that's kind of like a praise. When we praise the Lord in, in the scripture, we see singing. There's all kinds of ways to praise and worship. And, and we're kind of combining the two terms. Uh, uh, Brother Miller used to use this quote all the time from uh, Warren Wearsby, and I'll use it again today. So for some people, praise and worship, that life is, is a playground. I was visiting with somebody uh, years ago, and they said, I shouldn't have gone to this church, but I told my friend, if, he, if I go to his church, he'd have to come to my church. So we made this deal. He said, I went to my friend's church, and it was one of these big mega churches where, uh, where there, were, there, there was things that we just wouldn't agree with. We could put it that way. And uh, he said, I could not believe what I saw in this huge church. He said, I walked in, and we got popcorn in the lobby. He said, I walked in, and I went in the auditorium with my popcorn and candy and sat in a theater seat. He said, and and we listened, he said, it wasn't even a Christian rock band. It was just a rock band. It wasn't even, it wasn't even like Jesus in there. It was just rock music. They were playing just, just pop rock music, popular, popular songs of the day. He said, I sat there in popcorn in the theater seat, watched them do that up there. And he said, and then we watched a movie and I can't remember the movie that he, that I want to say it was an animated movie at that. So we watched a movie and that was church. He said, we left, and, I, and, and he, he was saying, I'm not the strongest Christian. I'm not the most upright person in the world. But he goes, I did not go to church. We did, I mean, there wasn't hardly anything said about Jesus, about Christ, about God. How it was just, he's like, I could have gone to the movie theater and got that. I could have gone to, to any place of entertainment and got that. Some people view worship, praise and worship as a playground. Anything goes, man, if it's good, if it's fun, let's do it. Some people view praise and worship as a battleground. We have to be careful of that in our type of churches because we're a traditional church. And at some point we start pointing the finger like a Pharisee going, I can't believe you do that at your church. You sing that song. What? 
we don't do that here. And it's a battleground. We want to fight over every song, right? We want to fight over what instrument goes up on the platform. We want to fight over everything that happens in our church. The church liturgy, how the pastor schedules the order of service. We want to fight over those things. So some people, it's a playground. Anything goes. Some people, it's a battleground. If we change the little, if we don't pray before the offering like we normally do, I'm throwing a fit. I'm meeting with the pastor Monday morning. We're going to talk about this. For some people, that worship in church is a battleground. They have to fight over everything. The pastor says it and you, you... Uh, or the church changes the least little thing, not a doctrinal issue, not a major issue, and they just want to fight, and it's a battleground. Uh, But truth be told, it's not a playground, it's not a battleground. Praise and worship for us as Christians is holy ground. And uh, it ought to be something that's that's built into our life. And what I want to get to you today is if you are not living a life of praise and worship, not just saying the words and not just talking the talk, not just showing it on the outside, but if you're not living a life of praise and worship, you are not living the Christian life. And so we're going to look at what that means, praise and worship, kind of going through, through that definition of worship and praise, giving exaltation to someone, especially the Lord, expressing approval with our mouth. And we're going to look at that. Nehemiah went to the Lord early on. He had a, he had a need and a desire to go rebuild the wall. And he goes in verse number four of chapter one to pray, or verse number five, I prayed great and terrible God. Before he prays, it sounds like the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Before we do anything, before I ask my request, before I ask forgiveness, before I ask for my needs, before I do anything, I'm going to put God in his place first. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many times, again, we've we've preached this in the past. I know Brother Miller went through prayer on this. I know Brother Jeremiah has preached on these types of things too. But we so so easily backslide into things we know we're not supposed to do. But how many times do we go to prayer and it's a quick prayer or it's just uh, the only time we pray is we're guilty. We have a guilty conscience and we want to get rid of our guilt. So we pray, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Also help so-and-so with cancer. Also help so-and-so with this need. Also help so-and-so with that need. And we pray for our needs and we pray for our forgiveness, but we don't ever praise and worship God in our prayer. We walk away from our prayer closet kind of feeling like it went through. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? You got up and you go, I don't even know that did any good. It's because we didn't start off our prayer looking at God. We started off our prayer looking at ourselves. I need forgiveness. I need a car bill. I need my car note paid this week. I, I got a flat tire. I need, I need, I need, I need. And the Lord says, whoa, our father, which art in heaven, you're number one. Hallowed be thy name. Let's start off with you first. Flip your prayers around. Instead of asking for what you need first, go to the Lord and start praising him first and telling him how great he is. We're not talking about manipulation. We're talking about the Lord deserves it. We just read it. He deserves praise. He deserves worship. And he ought, to, he ought to hear it privately in the privacy of our own home, in the privacy of our prayer closet. So let's look at this. How do we, how do we privately pray and worship? Well, attendance, you got to be there. <laughs> you have to show up. You have to show up. Some of us have a time in the morning. Maybe it's at night. Uh, boy, I think about this. Having four kids and having a wife that watches kids all day, there's not really a good time for a, for a newborn's mother <laughs> to have praise and worship. You're waking up every couple of hours. You can barely sleep. Uh, you can barely stay awake. And you can barely get back to sleep. By the time you want to praise and worship, the baby's screaming again. There are seasons of life where we get out of, out of, out of balance, and that's, that's just part of life. But we better schedule in a time, make time, whatever season we're in, to praise and worship. We've got to be there. We've got to be in attendance. We can give to the Lord. Uh, the, the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. Look at Nehemiah 1, verse number 8. In spirit and in truth. Nehemiah comes to the Lord and says, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying... 
Nehemiah is giving us a pattern here. Remember your word, Lord. If you don't know how to praise or how to worship him, go back to, we do it in spirit and in truth. And where is spirit and truth? It's found in the word of God. Thy words are spirit, right? God gave us his word. And so if you're not good at praying these types of prayers, or if you feel like you're a failure in a praise and worship life, you just, you, you hear the term praise and worship thing. It's just, it, all I think of is like a genre of music. That's all I think of. We've got that out of balance, and we need to practice our praise and worship life. In verse number eight, he tells us how. Remember, Lord, your word. Remember what you told Moses? What did he tell Moses? He said, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Lord, remember, you said it. If we got right with you, you'd bring us back. Uh, when you pray, when you worship the Lord in, in private, now this feels weird to some of us. We're like, this is kind of, this is kind of, like we're fundamentalists. We're not supposed to be doing this, are we? Yes, we are. We kind of think independent fundamental Baptists. We don't do that. We go soul winning. That's all we do. No, we praise and worship before anything. And we get, we get alone privately. And if we don't know really the words to say, we open the book of Psalms and we just start praying the Psalms. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And you bow your head and you say, Lord, it says right there, your mercy endureth forever. Thank you for that. And you read through the Psalms and you pray the prayers of Moses and you pray the Psalms of David and you pray not, not for someone else, not because you got called up in, at church and you got called up to pray for the offering and you have that moment of, oh no, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but it's, it, it's me by myself with the Lord and I haven't told him how great he is in a while. So I'm just gonna sit down and tell him how great he is and worship him. It's almost a foreign thing in the Christian life. It's almost like, why would we do that? What, what good does it do for me? It doesn't do any good for me. It does good for him. And that's what it's for. It's, it, 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 I'm not worth it, but he is. So I pray prayers that I find in scripture, in spirit and in truth. Pray and sing the Psalms. Uh, Ephesians 5, we know, the, we know the verse, speaking to yourselves, yourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we sing some of these new songs at church? Some of them are based straight out of Psalms. If you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find, for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. We sing that song. It is, it is straight through scripture. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray. Will I cry aloud? Sing those songs. The Bible says that it's a command. Ephesians 5, singing. Well, Brother Heath, I'm not a good singer. Well, tough. Speaking to yourself. Speak them then <laughs> if you can't sing them. How do we worship? Well, somebody said to give love. Uh, love is spelled T-I-M-E. You know, sometimes we want that quick prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Before I fall asleep, let me pray a, pray a quick prayer. Appease my conscience to say I prayed today and get done with this day. And we don't spend any time with the Lord. Boy, try it this week. Walk outside in nature. Take a walk. Look at the trees. Look at the grass. Look at the sky. When there's a sunset, look at it and just say, Lord, that's you. Thank you. We praise you for that. Nobody could do that. What do, they, what do they praise God for in heaven? What do they say in heaven? The Bible says, holy, holy, holy. Brother Heath, I don't know how to praise the Lord in, in my private time. You just tell him he's holy. Well, what does that mean? That means he's set apart. What did Israel cry out when the Red Sea waters parted and when they crashed down? They sang psalms, they danced, they jumped up and down and they celebrated and they said, there is no rock like our rock. That means holiness. There is nobody else, God, that could have done what you just did. 
You praise the Lord for his holiness. Who, who, who of all the gods of the earth can do what our Jehovah God can do? The answer is nobody. So you tell the Lord that. Well, he already knows that. Yeah, but he wants us to verbalize it. He wants us to literally, audibly tell him in our prayer time. And it might feel awkward, it might feel weird, but driving in the car when you're by yourself or in your prayer closet at home, just open up your mouth and say, Lord, thank you for who you are. Not for what you've done for me, not for all my blessings because I'm trying to manipulate you into getting more, but I just praise you for who you are. There is no God like my God. There is no rock like our rock. Lord, you are holy. You're set apart. Muhammad couldn't do it. Uh, 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 This God couldn't do it. Joseph Smith, he was wrong about you. This guy was wrong. That guy was wrong. This religion teaches you wrong. I know who you are. You're separate from all the other gods. You're not like those gods. You're separate. When you start praying that way and praising him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, listen, by the time you get to church, you can't help but sing. By the time you get to church, you've put God on the pedestal and it's like, I'll do anything for you because I've put him in his rightful place. I have set aside time to praise him and worship him. Start your day, start your time with prayer and worship. If we privately pray and worship, the next thing we do is we publicly praise and worship. You know, the problem we have with singing, some of us in church, is that we don't, we don't sing in private. I'm dead sure not singing in public. <laughs> I don't praise God in private. I'll definitely, I'm not, I'll definitely not do it when somebody sees me, when somebody can actually hear me. I mean, I said, praise the Lord one time. I looked around, make sure nobody was watching. Oh, well, they're going to think I'm a Christian. <laughs> That's the whole point of this thing. It's just so big inside you, it just pops out. I pray privately. I, I worship privately. I put him in his place. And I'm not just, I'm not just going down the Wednesday night bulletin, appease my conscience, let's pray and get this over with. I'm going to God as a relationship and I'm remembering what he did for me when I was unsaved. I'm remembering how he spoke to me. I'm remembering all the things he's done, but not just that, all the things that he is. And I come to the Lord like Nehemiah and say, you're a great and terrible God. There is nobody like you. You are fearful among all the other gods. Nobody scares me like you do, but I'm not scared of you in that sense. I'm scared of you in a reverence because you're still my father. And when I do that privately, it'll change my public praise and worship. Chapter 8. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1. Real quick, let's turn over a few pages there. They've built the wall. We've skipped through Nehemiah. They have fought Sanballat and Tobiah. These guys have been all against the children of Israel building a wall. They've built the wall. They're excited to have a celebration service. The temple is done. The wall is done. And Nehemiah 1, verse uh, Nehemiah 8 Verse number one, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from, before, uh, from the morning until midday. How about that sermon? From the morning till midday. Man, we don't like 1230, much less from the way morning till midday, right? Uh, let's not give the pastor any ideas there. Uh, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. How do we worship in public? The same way we worship in private. We have to attend. Let's be here. Let's be here in church. 
I know this time of life is a little different, so we can put an asterisk beside coronavirus if we have trouble. I understand that. There's folks at home, and that's okay, uh, that might be a little nervous uh, about coming to church. But we understand the principle. When the church doors are open, let's be here. When there's singing happening, let's be here. When there's preaching happening, when it's revival time, let's be here. We have to attend. The preacher's going to read the word of God. Let's be there. We, we, we practice in public the same way we do in private. We attend. We do it in spirit and in truth. What do we do? Open the word of God. There's a lot of churches that don't open the Bible. Uh, we open the Bible. Bring your Bible. Uh, bring your Bible to church. But we skip on down in this passage here real quick. We got to hustle. Verse number six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We have a service where Ezra begins preaching. The word of God, Nehemiah is kind of the layman and Ezra is kind of the clergyman, if you want to put it that way. And he, he preaches and gives the word of God and the people come to hear it and they fall down and worship. They lift their hands, they put their heads down with their faces to the ground and they worship God. We worship God privately, we worship God publicly. Listen, you and I were not made to be solo creatures by ourselves. You know, first of all, it's not good that man should be alone. God made us a wife. But not only that, he made us an assembly. He made us a body. The, the word church, we know, means assembly, a called out assembly. So if we don't assemble, we can't be an assembly. So make sure we're in church when there is corporate worship happening. Again, there are battles fought over this. Oh, my soul. I've heard people and their pettiness. We don't call it worship services. We are preaching services. <laughs> And it's preached that way. We only preach. We don't worship. Almost like it's a bad thing. We're not going to battle over the title. We don't, I've heard churches, we don't call it a worship center. We call it a sanctuary. Well, we call it an auditorium. Well, we call it this. Oh, stop. That's not what it's about. We are coming here to corporately worship God. How do we worship? It's not just the singing. I kind of want to buck the trend of having the music service being called the worship service. Because when the offering plates pass, that's worship. God, you're worth this paycheck. God, you're worth this dollar bill I'm putting in. God, you're worth this 20, this 100. He's worth it. In the singing, yes, we do praise and worship. In the preaching, is praise and worship. I mean, the whole service should be that way. So we ought to publicly do it. But not just at church, we ought to do it at home. What about family worship, family devotions? Uh, worship with your family. Teach your children. Uh, teach your children songs of the Lord. Teach them Scripture. Uh, find some. Go. Through, Brother Jeremiah has talked about it before. We've uh, we've done different things in our house before. But minister to your kids in praise and worship. Minister them. Have a devotion time. Show them how to do it. If we don't show them, how will they know? And if you're like us, man, you get busy. You miss days. You mess up. Pick up tomorrow. Pick up the next week. That's okay. But we publicly worship in church. We publicly worship. With our family, it's, it's okay to, see the kid, to have the kids see us read the Bible. It's a good thing. It's okay for our kids to see us pray. They need to know how this Christian life works. They're still looking around trying to find, find their way in this life, and we got to teach them. Going back to church worship, somebody gave me this illustration one time, and I thought it was great. How do we worship at church? This is kind of a music director thing to talk about in church anyway. But, so how do we come to church and worship? Like, what do we what do we do here? I mean, I know what, what our program is, but it's not about the program or the order of service. We've changed those things. Those aren't the most important things. We can sing a song here or there. We could do the offering here. But like, what do we really do? What are we, what are we here for? Especially in the singing portion. Uh, let me give you the wrong view first. The wrong view of church worship, the wrong view of public worship ser- services is that God is the leader. He's the prompter of our worship. 
So God leads this whole thing. God prompts us, brings us to church. The musicians and those on the platform, the speakers, the uh, teachers, the musicians, piano, the choir, those on the platform are the leaders. I'm sorry, are the, are the performers. They're the ones that we listen to. So we come to church, God orchestrates them to get started on the platform, and we as the audience, we are the congregants, we're the audience. We are there to listen. The performers on the platform are singing to us and praising to us in the auditorium, and we're here to see the performance. Okay, but the problem with that is we could go get that at a concert hall. We could go get that at a theater. I can be entertained anywhere. Okay, the correct view of our church worship service is not that God is the prompter, the platform, okay, are the performers, and we as the people sit in our pews as peons. We're not worthy to go up there on that platform, Mount Sinai, way up here, and and hear the words uh, performed to us. So we're just the audience. We're not worthy to step up there, so we're just the audience. No, no, no. God God is not the prompter. That's the wrong view. Let's look at the right view. The musicians, the platform, these are the leaders. We are the prompters, not God. Don't you want your kids to tell you, I love you every now and then without you telling them to? Why would God want me to worship if he tells me, all right, get up, stand up. Now it's time to worship me. We're made with a free will. He wants it freely. There's nothing better than having a child, one of my children come up, daddy, I love you. Of their free will. We show up on Sunday. If you, if you, if you sleep in Sunday morning, God's not going to send a lightning bolt down. He's not going to send, he's not going to, he's not going to kill you. He's going to let you do it. He wants you to have your free will. He wants you to come freely. And so the platform is, uh, we're the leaders, the prompters of this thing. Let's all stand together. Let's all listen to the piano. Let's all join in singing. Let's all join in reading scripture. Let's all join in turning your Bibles. Those on the platform are the prompters, are the leaders. The congregants, the people, you are the performers. Say, what? I'm not singing. You don't have to come up here and sing, but you're the performers. When we stand and have congregational singing, that means the congregation sings. There are a lot of churches where it's like, y'all shut up and sit down. We're going to show you how it's done up here. <laughs> have you ever been to one of those? And they're rocking or they're going, or maybe it's not, maybe it's not bad music. Maybe it's great music, but it's like, we're, we're doing it up here for you. Now clap and throw us bouquets. <laughs> That's not the way church should go. We're the prompters. We direct you. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to set the song list. You are... The performers, who's the audience then? The Lord. We're leading you so that we can all worship and sing to him. This is why when we have new music, I don't like that song. Well, we weren't singing it to you anyway. Well, I don't like the new thing. I don't like the new person they have. It doesn't matter. It's not for you. It's for him. If God needs to fix some things in church, you pray it out of church or pray it in the church. If God needs to fix things on the platform, fix the music, let's pray and be in one spirit, one mind, one heart. But other than that, if I, I got to be honest with you. I'm the music director. There are certain songs that we sing. I go, I'm not really fond of it, <laughs> but it's a good song and the church needs to learn it. It's kind of a hymn that's kind of dry and boring, but the kids need to learn the doctrine in that. And my kids need to hear it. So we're going to learn it. I'm not singing for my pleasure. I'm singing for his. We are the prompters, the leaders. You are the performers. So if you're not singing, why did you come? I mean, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, that's just the music director talking. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But if you're not singing, you're not, you're not doing your job. So God's up here listening. We all met together to sing and to worship and to send our praise up to him. And you're going, well, I'm not a singer. I don't want to. Well, sing unto the Lord a new song. It didn't say sing unto the Lord a new song, parentheses, if you can sing well. 
Sing it. Brother Buchanan, I was telling the kids in class this this week, Brother Buchanan, our pastor growing up for years, passed away a few years ago. He was an awful singer. It was horrible. I promise you, you're better than him. But he would stand there and sing. He would stand up. He would try to get by himself on the platform. And he would sing. He, he, like, he wasn't even following the notes up and down. He was just like, the notes would go up and he would go down. They would go down. He would go up. He, would, he, he couldn't hear it. He couldn't find it. Nobody ever taught him. It was awful. It was almost like somebody chanting a song. We're singing the melody up and down. And he would just kind of... That's kind of like his... And he even told us in church, I can't sing, but I sing because he wants to hear me sing. Those of us that think we're good musicians and singers, the Lord's not impressed anyway. So we're not trying to impress the audience. We're giving our praises to him. Now let's get better if we can. Let's use the talents that God has given us. But let's take the pressure off of performance and how I sound and just say, we're all doing this together corporately. I believe in Jesus just the way you believe in Jesus. I came to him at a different time. You came to him and you came at a different time. But we all came together and God brought us to Central. And now we're here in the auditorium. Let's sing. This is exciting because I've been privately worshiping. Now I've come excited to publicly worship. Can you imagine if every one of us, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through Saturday, were praising privately and worshiping privately, telling the Lord how great he is, calling him holy, on our knees before the Lord, giving him the praise he deserves. And not just asking requests, but actually worshiping him and just just bragging on him all week and putting him in his rightful hallowed place in our lives. Can you imagine what Sunday would be like? Can you imagine what the song service would be like? You remember October the 11th at 11, we were ready to come back to church. We didn't need a microphone up here. We were singing so loud. We were so excited. The church was so excited to sing. Why? We miss it. We were looking forward to that day to get together and corporately worship because we've been thinking about it all week for two weeks. What if we were thinking about church everywhere? What if we were privately worshiping in order so that we could publicly, corporately worship together? Look at, look at another verse. This is, this is great. Nehemiah 9, verse number, verse number 6. I tell you what, we don't have time to get to that. We've got to go on. We've got to learn about the election here. So let's move on. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 12. Let's move on. Nehemiah chapter 12. We've talked about public worship, private worship. It'll affect our corporate public praise and our public worship. And we do it the same way. I don't know how to privately worship. Do the same thing we do at church. Pray. Sing to him. Brother Heath, I'm not a good singer. We already covered that. Sing to him. Well, that feels weird. Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't feel weird to sing. There's a whole 150 book book in the Bible about singing. If you don't like singing... You might not like heaven that much. <laughs> We're going to be singing. It's not about your voice. It's not about how you sound. It's not about, look, Brother Ben plays over here, and it just makes me sick. I mean, some of us have to work at this thing. He just sits down and just no problem whatsoever. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's tons of work. I, I can't play like that. I can't do what so-and-so can do. And the Lord says, I'm not making you to be what so-and-so is. I made you for me to be what you are to me. Now praise me, worship me. Do your best. If, look, I'm not going to try to beat you up. If you can't do it, if you're not good at it, just get by yourself in the car. That's a great time to sing. Nobody can hear you. Turn up the music if you're scared of your own voice and just sing to him. After a while, you start going, 
God is pretty awesome. <laughs> God is pretty amazing. I've been singing it all week. We learned that new song in church. For thou, O Lord, art high above the earth. I exalt thee. I've been singing, I exalt thee all week. I exalt the Lord. I mean, I've been praising and worshiping and pray. Read the Bible to the Lord. Re- open the book of Psalms and just read it. Lord, you said this. Nehemiah did it. Lord, you said this to Moses. Let's read it. We've privately, uh, we're talking about pri- private praise and worship, public praise and worship. If we do those two things, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse number 27. We'll skip all these hard names, <laughs> but go down to the end. All these guys are there. In verse number 41, they have trumpets. They have, they have instruments. They're ready to sing and praise. And at the end of verse number 42, and the singers sang loud. That's the choir director talking to the choir. Sing out, right? Why are we going to sing if you can't be heard? The whole point is to be heard. Sing. Praise the Lord. Look in verse number 43. That day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. If we're in private doing it and we're in public doing it and we're doing it of a clear heart and a clear mind, it's going to affect others and it'll be persuasive worship. Can you imagine? We come through all week privately worshiping. We show up on Sunday publicly worship with a full heart, praising him. And it's not a, it's not a we, we haven't been playing the game. We're not going through the motions, but we are praising. We are worshiping. We are excited about the offering. We're excited about the special. We're excited about the congregational singing, the scripture reading, the pastor's preaching. And I can't get enough of it. And there's a visitor that walks in the door for the first time and does not know anything about church or Christianity. And he looks around and sees you and I and goes, these people believe this. In verse number 43, it says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Boy, what? I just feel like if there was a church doing this, they'd be talking about us in the city. Have you been to that central? I mean, they, I mean it's not a show there. They are for real about what they believe. They are for real about their worship of the Lord. And those people shook my hand and said, well, we can't shake hands anymore, but maybe in a few months. <laughs> they waved at me really good, <laughs> gave me some Germex. Those people were nice. And the world is full of a bunch of fakers. But you walk into that place and those people are real. They're authentic because we've been authentic in the private praise and worship. We're authentic in our public praise and worship. And other people just see it and go, man, I want whatever you got, I want it. What would, what would our church be like if we were doing that? Does the visitor come into our church and hear and see what God has done? Does your coworker hear it and see it? I, I'm not saying you have to be a wild person, stand on a soapbox and start yelling at people in the break room. Repent. <laughs> I don't think that's quite the way to do it every time. But do the folks around you, do the people around you see your praise and worship in your life? Or are you ashamed? You know, we, we, get, we all get ashamed to our... To our detriment, we all get ashamed of witnessing. But it's not because it's God's fault, and it's not because God didn't save me. It's not because we're not excited. It's because we haven't been praising him and worshiping him all week. And when the moment comes, the opportunity to be a witness, we go, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can talk to people about this. I don't know how, how, how do you witness to somebody? How do you stand there and strike up a conversation? I can never do this. If it's in you so much and so big, all week, and it's in you in the church all week publicly, it just comes out to others, and you just got to say it. 
I got to tell them, we can't help but speak the things which we've seen and heard. They told them in the book of Acts, you can't say that anymore. Like, sorry, we can't help it. It's not that we're trying to be jerks, but we just can't help it. We can't stop preaching the gospel. We can't stop giving. Why? Because we've been living it. Last one in chapter 13. We're already pretty close to there. If we're not private in our prayers and praise and worship, if we're, we definitely won't be public in our praise and worship. If we don't do it publicly, nobody will hear. Nobody will know. We'll be quiet about our Christianity. We'll be quiet about our God. Uh, chapter 13, Brother Jeremiah was here just, I think, maybe just last week. The wall's been built, and everybody backslides. Everybody kind of goes back in. And look in verse number 6, actually, uh, Nehemiah thirteen six. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. Nehemiah's talking. I wasn't there. And what happened? Verse number 7. I came back to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore, therefore cast uh, I forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. This is Sanballat and Tobiah were the ones making fun of the people of God. They're the ones telling them you can't do it. They were the ones threatening them. They were the ones saying you can't build the wall. They were enemies of God. And now Nehemiah says, I left. And here Eliashib has made a, made a covenant with him, has come together with him, has made an alliance with him. And I came back and Tobiah's hanging around. He's the enemy. Verse number nine, then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. Thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God and with meat offering and the frankincense. Verse number, verse number 10, and I received the portions that the Levites had not given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. The Levites are gone. These are the people in the temple worship, right? These are the ones that are supposed to be doing the sacrificing. And the singers, they took off. Everybody fled, went home, scattered. We can't have public worship when the, the Levites and the singers aren't here. Where did everybody go? Verse number 11, then contended I with the rulers and said, why is this house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Nehemiah had to get things right. Uh, The last one I think is where a lot of us are. And if I'm not careful, I know I get there too. Paltry, praise and worship. (laughs) It's a lackluster effort. You look back at the past week and you go, I don't even know that I've even prayed, much less praised him. I don't even know that I even opened my Bible, much less worshiped him. Why can't we witness? Because our praise and worship is so lackluster. We've forgotten where God is and where we forgot to put him in his rightful place. Why can't I be effective in my Christian life? Why can't I get over my sin, sin and temptation? Why can't I stop overcoming that temptation? Because you've been praying to overcome temptation. You've not been praying to praise the Lord. What are some myths about praise and worship when we're speaking of a paltry, non-existent praise or worship? It only happens at church. Well, that's not true. Praise and worship should not only happen here. The singing of God's people and the praise of God's people and the reading of scripture and the preaching and the teaching should not just happen at church. That's another myth. It's all about the singing. Well, that's the worship part of the service and I'm not a part of that. And only the singers do that. Nope, that's not true. What else? It's only a mood or a feeling. We've got to be careful with this because feelings will take us a long way that God didn't take us that way. Somebody once said, feelings ought to be the caboose, not the conductor. <laughs> Make sure you're not chasing around your feelings. Man, because there's videos all over that will give you a good feeling and put God in there. But it's not about God. Now, the devil knows how to play with mine and your feelings and my mood. Well, I don't feel like praising and worshiping today. I don't either when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to, I, unless I have a gallon of coffee in me, then I'm halfway awake at that point. 
well, I don't feel it. I'm not in the mood. It doesn't matter if I'm in the mood. I'm praising him anyway. Lord, I'm tired, but I praise you anyway. Thank you for a good night of sleep or for kind of sort of a not good night of sleep, but thank you for, for what you've done. Praise him when you don't feel like it. Uh, praise and worship. We heard about this a little bit today. I'm keeping back some of my areas in my life. I can praise him and worship him here, but this is just mine. We can't do that. That's a myth about worship, that we can hold back things. We're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable service. What are some results of paltry praise and worship? My sin is overwhelming. Have you ever just sat down and go, I can't get over that? There's no way. I'm in bondage and it, I, I can't get over it. It's, it's, it's going to be directly correlated. I know in my life it is directly correlated to my relationship with God. My victory over sin, my victory over temptation, my victorious Christian life is directly correlated to my walk with God. If I'm not walking and praising and worshiping him, I won't have victory over temptation. My sin's overwhelming. My problems are too big. Do you ever get set off at just the least little thing sets you off and makes you mad, ticks you off? Every little thing becomes a mountain. These are the works of the flesh, right? My witness is weak. Man, I am scared to death to pass out a track. I am scared to death to tell them I go to Central. I am scared to death to mention the name of Jesus. Why? Because I'm not been praising him and worshiping him. Another result is my service is manufactured. That hits home because I can serve. I'm on staff. I do the music at the church. And if I'm not careful, my, my service just becomes robotic. It's a manufactured, let's just go through the motions. I know they won't know. I know they won't know. I know nobody else will know. And God knows, but God's not going to tell anybody. So I can manufacture my outward appearance of praising the Lord. While inwardly, I'm just ready to get out of here. And we come to church just because I know somebody's going to check up on me or because it's my tradition to show up every Sunday morning, but I could have cared less. When is it 12 o'clock? Get me out of there. Paltry praise and worship. We've not been spending time with him. We've not been putting God in his rightful place. My service is manufactured. At best, it's non-existent. We've taught and preached moral living in our type of churches for a long time. We've taught and preached, and I've heard every message. I've been to teen camps. I've been to smite camps. I've been to... Any kind of camp. I've been to Bible college. I've heard pastors, preachers, evangelists. I've heard messages like you upon message upon message. And a lot of those messages, they aren't bad, but a lot of the messages are this. Give up your music because it's bad. Wear the right clothes. You better cut your hair the right way, man. Ladies, you better cover yourselves up. Modesty. And we preach those standards, and we preach them, and we're hard, and, and the shouters shout amen, and everybody gets fired up, yeah, and those homosexuals, yeah, and those Democrats, yeah, and we get fired up about all those things, and we preach standards, and we preach consequences. All the while, the church goes, if I just do those things, I'll be a good Christian. If I just wear the right things, if I just get my hair cut the right way, if I just dress modestly, if my outward appearance looks okay, then the Lord will be thankful to have me. Look, the Lord was thankful to have you when he died for you on the cross. I don't have to earn his favor. I've got it. What else does he have to do to earn my favor? He gave his only son to die and bleed and cried, it is finished for me. And then he reached down and saved me. I don't have to wear a certain type of outfit to please the Lord. I don't have to get my hair cut a certain way to please the Lord. Now, some of us get uncomfortable when we say that because, whoa, you can't say that in church. We got to have dress standards. 
right? We've preached standards so hard and we've not even looked at the prayer closet, our praise and worship. When if I got down on my knees and said, Lord, let me put you in your place today. Let me, let me, let me worship you and tell you how holy of a God you are, how wonderful you are. When I, when I put God in his place, the Holy Spirit then begins nudging me. Hey, you know that thing? You shouldn't be doing that. And I go, well, it's fine with me. If it's going to hurt my relationship with you, it's gone. You know that thing you've been saying? You shouldn't say that anymore. And the Holy Spirit just taps on my heart because I've been talking to him all week. I've been putting him in his rightful spot and calling him Lord and I've been treating him as Lord. He says, you know that? You know how you've been acting there? You know how you dealt with that? Shouldn't be doing that. It's going to offend a brother. Well, I have Christian liberty. I'm saved. I can, I can live like I want. The Lord says, yeah, but that's not the Christian life though. Other people are going to be offended, so don't do that anymore. And you go, that's fine with me. If it hurts my relationship with the Lord, I'll give it up. I'll give you anything, Lord, even if it's something I don't even care about. We've preached dress standards and externals so hard that we as the church have now believed that externals are going to earn us favor. And all we've turned to is a bunch of Pharisees. I dress the right way and my prayer closet is empty. Cobwebs. My praise and worship is non-existent. I don't sing. I don't pray. I don't praise. I don't tell the Lord how wonderful he is. And the whole reason I was made was for his pleasure. And I think somehow that a dress is going to earn favor with God. A haircut is going to earn favor with God. I think that somehow showing up at church and going to, we're going to have uh, soul winning and outreach. We just mentioned it. I think somehow showing up to outreach is going to earn my favor with the pastor. It's going to make me look good. And I'm going to be a good Christian. Listen, before outreach, are you even going to pray about it? Are you even going to put him in his spot? Praise and worship is a necessity for the Christian. It's as as necessary as his breathing, as his eating, as his drinking. We as Christians, we praise. And the externals will take care of themselves. The dress standards will take care of themselves. The things on the outside that I feel like I have to do to earn favor with God... I know I don't. I've been talking to him all the way. I have his favor. We've been, I've been praising and worshiping. I've, I've had a great time with the Lord. I don't have to do those things to earn his favor. I do these things because I have his favor. Are we praising and worship? How's your private prayer and worship? How's your praise and worship? How's your public praise and worship? Do you do it at home, but you're just scared to do it in public? You're scared to praise. I'm not talking about jumping around, screaming in the aisles, running. I, th- I, think, I've seen, I think I've seen a church service. Somebody ran down the aisle and jumped in the baptistry. Woo! salvation. That's stupidity. Okay. Don't do that. You might get tackled or shot if you do that in this, this day and age too, by the way, (laughs) we have church shootings. Now we don't, we don't play that game anymore. We'll tackle you and shoot you in the aisle before you get up to the platform. We're not talking about stupidity and silliness. There was one church I read years ago. They were the laughing church. They would have these laughing fit, hysterical laughing fits in church. And we got the spirit. We just laugh because he fills our mouth with laughter. And it was like weird. It was scary. They're laughing hysterically, making it, conjuring up this feeling of emotion. We're not talking about that. It's people in Nehemiah that they bowed their heads. People in Nehemiah that they raised their hands. People in the Bible that praise and worship in Psalms, they lift their voice. It's not a weird thing. It shouldn't be a weird thing for us. Let's get our praise and worship right. Everything else will take care of itself. Let's pray.